Father, we want to thank you for the, how you've already spoken to us this morning. We just lift up your name and we, we give you glory. We give you honor for a God, Lord, who longs and, and loves to communicate with your people. So, Father, we pray, Lord, even as we come to your word right now, that we would press closer and nearer to the very heart of God in these moments. In Jesus' name, we ask all of this. Amen. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 14, and I'm just going to read a few verses, I'm going to start just a little bit of a series, I've just been speaking, going to speak a little bit of, spend a couple, little bit of time in, in the sort of chapter 14, 15, and 16, and um, chapter 14, verse 1 begins with these words, do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And before I get into these incredible verses at the beginning of chapter 14, we need, of course, look back into chapter 13 to set the scene Jesus has been with his disciples in the upper room. It's only a few hours before his arrest and the night before he dies. And Jesus has shared a meal with his friends. And he's already shocked them by washing their feet. This is a hugely demeaning thing that no respectable teacher would ever think of doing. Yet Jesus does it. And then in chapter 13 verse 21, Jesus drops a massive bombshell on his friends. He's hinted towards it in the past, but now he is explicit. One of his friends is going to betray him. This, not surprisingly, horrifies them. And, and once they've pulled themselves together, they nominate someone to ask Jesus who the culprit is. It eventually becomes clear that Judas is the one who will be the betrayer. However, Jesus drops an even greater bombshell in verse 33 of chapter 13, he says, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. He's leaving them. Jesus is going away somewhere. Now, this is devastating news for, for these people. They've been with Jesus for three years. Some of them have left their jobs to follow him. Jesus is their whole world. He's their figurehead. Without him, they are nothing. To make matters even worse, Jesus tells them that they are going to leave him. In fact, they are going to deny him. Of course, outspoken Peter doesn't, he says, he refuses to believe such a thing. I would never do something like that. There's no way I would ever deny you, Jesus. But with all his bravado, he is going to deny his friend and his master, not just once, but repeatedly. This too is devastating news 
Peter has always been the strong one. And if he cannot pull through for Jesus, well, what hope do any of them really have? So this triple whammy, betrayal, departure, denial, that's the backdrop to John chapter 14 and verse 1 and explains the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And hopefully you can begin to see why Jesus' friends are so deeply troubled. Their world is just falling apart literally in a few minutes. The Jesus who they've come to depend upon seems to be abandoning them. And I think many of us can, many of us can understand something of, of what the disciples are feeling. I'm sure there have been times in your life, as there have been times in my life, when I feel as if God has abandoned abandoned me, or you may, may, may just, you just can't understand what is God doing in this situation, in this circumstance. Maybe even times when you feel spiritually alone, when God seems to be very distant or even removed. So how do you react when the storms of life come upon you? Because even when you have been prophetically warned about them, they're still a shock. They're still difficult for your head to get your head around some stuff. And whether it's the loss of a loved one or a medical diagnosis or something else that just turns your world upside down, we need to hear the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. But this is not just any belief. It's a specific belief. It's faith in God. But actually it's more than that. They also had to have faith in Jesus. Belief in God is not enough. Some vague monotheism, the existence of a God, isn't going to help them when they face betrayals and departures and denials. It's not going to help you when you face perhaps devastating news. James Whitaker was a member of a hand-picked crew that flew a B-17, captained by Eddie Rickenbacker. Great name, by the way. In October 1942, they were reported lost at sea. Somewhere over the Pacific, out of radio range, this plane loses fuel and then crashes into the sea. So nine men spend the next month floating on three rafts. They battle the heat, the storms, the sharks, and the waters. And after only eight days, they have eaten all of their rations. It's going to take an absolute miracle for even any of them to survive. So one morning after their daily devotions, Rickenbacker leans back, puts his head back against the raft. His raft, he puts a hat over his eyes, and a bird lands on his hat. What are the chances? Everybody watches, nobody dares move. His reaction, the, the reaction of, of, of Rick and Michael was fast and effective as he caught the seagull. The crew ate what they could and then they used the intestines of the, the, of the bird as bait to catch some fish. The crew survived to tell the story. A story of a stranded crew with no hope, with no help in sight. It's a story about prayers offered and prayers answered. A story of salvation. A story of miraculous sacrifice. But in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, 
it reminded them of another, even more miraculous sacrifice. A story of someone who came into our world. A story of love. A story of a man who gave up his life so that others might live. His name, of course, is Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross, he died there to rescue you from sin and from death. And by faith, you can be saved this morning by receiving him into your life. You just need to ask. You see, in that story, in the middle of that specific ocean, the real miracle was not a bird landing on Eddie Reckenbacker's head, but the change in the heart of James Whitaker. The greatest event of that day was not the rescue of a crew, but the rescue of a soul. And James Whitaker didn't believe in God. The plane crash didn't change his unbelief. The days of waiting in face of death didn't cause him to reconsider his eternal destiny. In fact, James got increasingly annoyed with other members who were continually reading their Bibles, both um, privately but also aloud. But the Word of God was penetrating his heart. And it was after the reading of the Bible one morning that that seagull landed. And at that moment, James Whitaker became a believer. How amazing. This is, the, this is the length and the extreme that God will go to save a soul. At that time, the world was at war. It was locked in battle for freedom. And Father God is sending missionary seagulls <laughs> to save a soul. There is no limit to the length to which God will not go to get your attention and to win your affection. He will pursue you with his love. This is what our Father in heaven does and how great his love is for you. It isn't the circumstances that matter whether they be good or bad. It's the God who's in the circumstances. It isn't the words that are said. It is God who is speaking them. It wasn't the mud that healed the eyes of the blind man who came to Jesus in the Gospels. It's the finger of God in the mud. A manger and a cross. Well, they were as common as grass. What made them holy was the one who lay on them. This gull wasn't special, but the one who sent it was. And that problem, that situation, that circumstance that you're facing, listen, countless others may also be facing it too, but there is a loving God in heaven, a saviour who gave his life for you, who wants to get your attention. It is amazing the length to which God will go to get our attention. So in the face of devastating news, what do you do? Do you panic? Do you doubt God's love? Or do you trust God to get you through those tough times? When you face problems, when you face pain, actually sometimes it does help us to put our attention towards God, does it not? Well, you listen to some words from C.S. Lewis who wrote in his book, The Problem with Pain. These are his words. I am 
processing along the path of life in my ordinary, contentedly fallen and godless condition, absorbed in a merry meeting with my friends for the morrow, or a bit of work that tickles my vanity today, a holiday, a new book, when suddenly a stabbing of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease, or a headline in a newspaper that threatens us all with destruction sends the whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first I'm overwhelmed and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly and reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be at all times. I remind myself that all of these toys were never intended to possess my heart. That my true good is in another world and my only real treasure is Christ. And perhaps by God's grace I succeed for a day or two to become a creature consciously dependent on God and to draw my strength from the right source. But the moment the threat is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. And although those are not my words, there are times in my life when I can certainly identify with them and such is human, human nature that I'm sure many of you can do exactly the same. So what do we do when the rug has been pulled from under our feet? Do we eventually turn to God? Do we eventually put our trust in him? Perhaps just for a while, do we, do we look somewhere else? Do we do something else? Like I don't think that we're very much different from that of the disciples because our first response to an ordeal is normally surprise, then disbelief. But actually, should we really be surprised? Life, in many ways, is a little bit like a classroom, is it not? We, we should expect some examinations from time to time. We, you can't have a classroom without tests. And like any other curriculum, the curriculum of Christ-likeness is very similar. Your Christian maturity to see if you believe in God and believe also in Jesus. After all, that's why tests very often come. Your Christian maturity is measured by your ability to withstand the tests that come your way without them shaking your foundation or throwing you into an emotional or spiritual tailspin. However, the wonderful thing about God's classroom is that you get to grade your own papers. God doesn't test you so that he can see how well you're doing. He knows already. God knows the number of hairs upon your head. He knows the thought in your mind even before you think them. Listen, he tests you so that you can see how well you're doing. You need to see where your level of maturity really is. So as you go through difficulties and challenges, you can see how you're maturing in him, how your belief in God and in Jesus is growing. You can see how strong your faith really is. So don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Hudson Taylor, at the height of one of his personal tests, said this. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between me and God 
or whether it presses me nearer his heart. When pressure comes in your life, what happens? Does it push you further from God or does it press you nearer to the heart of God? When you press into and near the heart of God, he is faithful and he will hold you. You can entrust your soul to a faithful creator. However, it doesn't mean that things will necessarily calm down or even make better sense. Our Lord's agenda for us is often full of surprises. It's unexpected twists. It's got abrupt turns in it. So when you are tested... You will be tempted to resist, to go your own way, to fight in your own strength or to do what is wrong because that's what comes naturally to you. But what does God say you should do? Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Press nearer to the heart of God. In those moments, you press nearer to the heart of a loving God. As a family, we're living this. I'd planned to speak on this before Rachel was diagnosed with cancer, but God knew. God knew how appropriate this would be for us. And we need to apply this truth of God's word to our situation, just as you do to yours. And there are times when we will struggle to do that, just as you will struggle to do that. Listen, preaching is the easy bit. It really is. You know, living it out in practice, in circumstances when things don't go as we thought they would go, that's what's difficult. But that's what God has called us to do. That's how we're called to live. Words often are cheap and easy. But how we live... That's what God has called for us to do. You and I need to remember that suffering is twinned with glory. That's where Jesus is going with this, with this little phrase. You need to know that the trials of our faith today is the assurance of the glory when Jesus returns. I'll talk about that more and more, deta- more detail next time I speak. Later on in this chapter, the next verses are two, Jesus gives three reasons to the disciples why he has to leave this world. The first is this, he's going away to secure their future destiny. It's all about glory. It's all about the glory that's before us, eternity, that nothing can take away from us. We'll come back to that later, in the next few weeks. Secondly, he's going away to complete his revelation of the Father. You want to know what the Father is? You know the Son. We'll come back to that too. Thirdly, he's going away to equip them to live for him through the Holy Spirit. The Comforter has come. He's come. That's for another day. For now, we need to understand that God is not going to replace suffering with glory, but he is going to transform suffering into glory. So you and I need to take the long-term view. And we should be so thankful that Jesus didn't just decide to settle down here on earth and put his feet up with his disciples. No, he chose the road of suffering, of pain. He chose the cross And you also must make a choice. See, there really are only two ways to live. You either believe in God and in his son Jesus, or you listen 
to the oldest lie of Satan. That rejecting God and following your own desires is going to lead to fulfillment. Listen, it will not. The truth is that sin leads to death and to hell. And your, your greatest need is the removal of your sin. The reason why Jesus said, believe in me, was because it is only in him that you can know God. It is because he died on the cross, because he rose again from the death. He has opened up the way to the Father. Through Jesus, we can find meaning and significance in life. And in him, you can have eternal life. But why, why would he do such a thing? He did it because he loves you. During the Second World War, in a certain concentration camp, prisoners were taken and and forced to work. Every morning they were given a shovel and they were expected to endure a hard day of painful labor. At the end of that day, they were brought back into the camp in groups of 20 and the shovels were placed up against the wall and they were counted in. One evening, as they all came back in as normal, the guard began to count one, two, three, got to 19. There was no 20. The guard shouted as he pulled out his gun, which one of you has broken his shovel? I will shoot five of you if you don't admit which one has broken and lost his shovel. After three seconds, a 19-year-old lad steps forward. Bang! The guard shoots. Just before dismissing the other 19, he decides to recount the shovels, only to discover there were actually 20 of them after all. So what went through that young lad's mind to make him step forward? It wasn't duty. It was love. He loved them and he gave his life for them. And in a greater way, this is what Jesus has done for you. Jesus stepped up to the cross. He gave his life that you might live. How do you respond to such love? You open up your heart to him. You know, there are many reasons why we may want forgiveness. Many of them may even be quite selfish. But the best reason perhaps is this. It's the reason why I want to be forgiven by my wife Rachel when I upset her. See, I don't like the atmosphere. I don't like what's going on in the air. I don't like the fact that I've hurt her. I want the smiles. I want the hugs. I don't want her to be angry with me. That's all that I care about in forgiveness. I want her back. And that's all that God cares about in forgiveness. God wants you back. He did not spare his own son. He gave him up freely in order that you might know him. Listen, whatever your past has been, whatever things you think that could be on, Jesus has dealt with every single one of them on the cross. They've been dealt with. His grace is enough. By faith, you are forgiven completely. You're made clean by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you this morning to press nearer, still nearer to the heart of God. For some of you, it may be for the very first time you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ.
For others, maybe you've just wandered away a little bit or you've just become distracted by, as as C.S. Lewis describes, the, the toys of life. God is calling you back. He's calling you to give everything over to him. To stand up for him. To love him the way he has first loved you. To know the forgiveness through his son. You do it by repenting of sin and coming to Jesus. Give your life to him today. You're facing difficulties and challenges at the moment. Just listen to the words of Jesus one more time. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. You believe in Jesus. He is your only hope. And he is a wonderful hope. For now and for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. And yet the complexity of it, Lord, makes my head ache. Lord, you love me. You love us. And Lord, I want to pray for my friends here today. Lord, some I know are struggling. Some, Lord, are going through trials and difficulties at the moment. And Father, I want to pray, Lord, by your Spirit, that they would not be troubled, but that they would put their complete hope in you. They'd believe. They would know the truth. That the truth would set people free today. I want to just speak that out prophetically. In Christ alone, your hope is found. Do you know the truth? It will set you free. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, come and just soften each of our hearts today. Lord, we press in to you. Lord, I pray, Father, as the pressure builds, Lord, in situations and circumstances, Father, that we just press closer and closer to our Heavenly Father, where we will find all that we need. Everything that we need is in you, Lord. Forgive us when we forget it. Forgive us when we do not do it. But Father, now I pray, help us, Lord, by your Spirit to press in to our Father in heaven. We ask all of this because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.